0: Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we thank you for this truth that the good shepherd holds his sheep fast because, Lord, there would be no good news if it weren't for that. Lord, if it were up to us, we would lose our salvation so quickly. But, Lord, we are grateful that the good shepherd holds all those whom you have given to him, that he died for and who he will bring to glory. So, Lord, I pray as your word is proclaimed now, as is announced and heralded, Lord, we pray that this would be one of the ways in which he does that, that he would shepherd us with his word, and we would be held fast through the storm and the chaos until the day he brings us home. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to turn to Psalm 8. Turn to Psalm 8. Psalm 8. Now, it wouldn't be hard to convince you that we do live in a time of great chaos and confusion. I doubt anybody would disagree with me at that statement. A time of great chaos and confusion. Confusion about what it means to be human. About what the goal of human, of human life is. Even questions of identity. Chosen identity or given Identity. Questions about what it means to treat one another with dignity. What does it mean to treat somebody with human dignity? Is this something based on what they choose? Is this something declared by God? Is it something that you choose? It is chaos and confusion, very dark. This represents a world that has rejected the Lord. But, dear church, dear brothers and sisters, Christ is our strong tower. He is our Lord and He is our Redeemer, but He is also our rock. And so, while the nations rage and or while the earth shakes and while new waves of new doctrines and philosophies break against the ship, we do not need to rock along with those waves. We don't need to be tossed to and fro on these waves because we have a sure and a steady anchor who is unchangeable. All things were made by him and they were made for his glory. It's in his image that we have been made. So what it means to be human, what it means to please him, what it means to love him, what it means to love other humans, that is, fixed. And so we can rest in the sweet truth that we can actually know who our God is and what our calling is as people. A God who's not going to condemn us based on changing rules and changing views on human identity and dignity. And so this morning, we're going to be laying a foundation with the word of God, or rather, exposing or showing the foundation of the Word of God to answer these questions about what does it mean to be made in the image of God. And this foundation is going to be critical as an anchor when we consider questions next in the, in the coming weeks, questions of racism, abortion, critical race theory, sexism, transgenderism, intersectionality, euthanasia, homosexuality, environmentalism, dignity for disabled Person. So we are going to avoid every controversial topic. <laughs> it's chaos. But when we know who the Lord is, when we know the God in whose image we have been made, we don't need to be rocked by every single wave, even before we stabilize. We don't need that wave to rock us we can remain stable in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we're going to run to Him, to know Him, and then to know ourselves and also each other. So these questions are, first of all, who is God, and then who are we? And so our first point, which I, I, I think you'll we'll be able to see with me in, in Psalm 8, the first point is that God is the glorious one. Through whom and for whom and by whom all things exist. He's the glorious one. For whom and through whom and by whom all things exist. God is the glorious one. So we're going to read Psalm 8 in its entirety. Psalm 8. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and stars which you have set in place, what is man that you're mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you've made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, also the beasts of the field, The birds of the heaven, the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. This passage, in the middle of it, which is a good way to understand what the point is, it talks about the dignity and glory which God has given to humanity. But lest we think that's the main point, In the song that talks the most about the dignity and glory God gave to humanity, it's bracketed, start to finish. Did you notice that it starts and ends with the same phrase? Did you notice that? O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Verse 1. Verse 9. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. For all the nerds out there, that's uh, that's a Hebrew tool. It's called an inclusio. Start and end with the same thing so nobody gets to miss your point. So in the passage that talks the most clearest about the dignity and glory that God gave to humanity, that passage is sandwiched by the all-surpassing glory of the Lord God. O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So looking at the creation of the world. All the earth. We can see all kinds of glorious and majestic things, can't we? We see soaring mountains that climb above the clouds. We see beautifully colored animals living on the earth. We see lightning so bright and powerful. We hear the sound of thunder exploding. We feel the heat of the sun and we see its effects on plants that grow by its energy, even though the distance between us and the sun is something you cannot get your mind around. We see the stars in the heavens and we just cannot count them. We see seasons come year by year in their order, spring followed by summer, followed by autumn, followed by winter, followed by winter, followed by winter, followed by winter, followed by by spring. We see incredible properties of different elements, predictable and stable. Gold has properties and silver has properties. Magnesium and hydrogen and oxygen have properties that can be counted on. Carbonite has properties. Just kidding. doesn't. It's fake. But all of these elements, technologies can be built upon because they're so fixed and and, and, and they are stable. So you can build these technologies to improve human life. So engineers know how much sheer force certain alloys will be able to withstand. Rainbows and butterflies and canyons and amethysts and running horses and dive bombing falcons and tornadoes. The earth is filled with majestic things. But over all of them is the Lord God who made them. He is the one who is himself majestic. Now, I could be, given the right room, I could be the smartest person in the room. And that's probably true of you as well. Given the right room, you could be the smartest person. You put put me in a kindergarten class, I'm probably the smartest person in that room. And you would say, that man is smart. Look around, who's smart? This person is smart. And so we would see these things, but it would depend on which room I'm in. In this room, I know I'm not the smartest. So we see all kinds of majestic things, and you look at a rainbow. That's majestic. But this is what we're saying here is that God is majestic in all the earth. Whenever you see a majestic thing in all the earth, God is the one in all the earth. In every situation, he's the majestic one, majestic above the majestic. He's the one who gave majesty to majestic things. He's the only one who is himself glorious and majestic. The one whose majesty is reflected in those glorious and majestic things. Those things have a reflected glory. And who is that? Who is that God, the majestic majestic one? Did you notice it says, O Lord, our Lord. Who's the majestic one? The master, Lord, the king, our Lord. And that, that uh, it says, O Lord, capital L-O-R-D, caps lock. You see that, all caps? That's Yahweh, Israel's God. Israel's God, our master, Israel's God, our king, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the one who made a covenant with Abraham, that God, he is the majestic one. It's not like there is a God who is majestic. No, we know him. He can be known. It's this God. He has a name. He's revealed himself. Who is he? He's the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Only that God is worthy of all glory and honor and praise. You can go too far when you're describing how glorious something is. But not with Him. It is never enough. You have the, the glory of... His glory is never ending. It's never too much. You're never going too far. And so start to finish. The Lord is majestic in all the earth. It's a good indication of how Israel would be to was to be shepherded by this song, a psalm that recognizes and thanks God for the glory He gave to humanity. And so we see how impossible it is to understand the actual glory and dignity of a human without understanding and recognizing that we are made by God and for God and we are designed by Him. As glorious as humanity is, this puts us in our rightful place, comparing us to God. We are not God. The world does not exist for our glory. We do not exist for our own glory. We exist for His glory and the fame of His name. So what is man? You can't understand that if you do not understand who God is. God is forever and always will be the glorious one. There's no making him glorious. He's always as glorious as he always ever was. And so we and everything else exist for his glory streams and mountains and flowers and magnesium and copper and hydrogen and rainbows and the deer and the eagles and men and women and boys and girls exist for his glory. If we fail to understand this, we will fail to give people the honor and dignity that we ought to give them. We will not understand the significance if we first don't acknowledge that they exist For the Lord God's glory. So that was our first point. Second point is, God has by grace alone appointed humanity to be in his image. Normally when we talk about grace alone, we're talking about salvation, aren't we? Right? We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. Right? But we see that God has by grace alone appointed humanity to be his image. So this glory is the possession of all humans, and it's one that God has bestowed on them. He has declared it, and that actually preceded our creation. We're going to look in Genesis in a minute, but we see that this declaration of the image of God preceded our creation. It's not something that was given to us based on anything about us. We don't have God-like characteristics, and then because of that, oh, you kind of remind me of myself. I'm going to say that you're the image of God. Now, to demonstrate this from Psalm 8, I want you to see this. This is lovely. Notice which kind of person he mentions specifically. Did you notice this? What kind of person? Now, he's talking about every person, right? He's talking about all people. But which ones does he mention as an example? Babies. He mentions babies. Now, I have a question for you. You've probably seen the silly YouTube videos. I have a question. Who can paint a better picture, an elephant raised in captivity or a five-day-old? An elephant can. Who can build a better house, a shelter from a storm, a robin, a grown robin, or a one-year-old? The robin wins that one. Yet to whom has God crowned with glory and honor? What does this passage say? To babies. To humanity. To whom has God given dominion over all creation? Baby humans, elephants, or robins? Humanity. Including the least productive and the least intelligent. Still, this dignity has been bestowed on them. Oh, you might say, oh, Derek, it's it's based on potential. That baby will be one day more glorious than an elephant, and will be able to paint a better picture than an elephant. And I would say to that, you've not met me and seen what I can draw. (laughs) That baby will one day be able to to, uh, build a better home than a robin. Oh, who else does God compare those noisy babies? Who else does he compare them to? Angels. Did you notice that? angels, verse 5, yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, probably meaning angels, and have crowned him, that means humanity, with glory and honor. I have a question here. Who is smarter? Einstein or the angel Gabriel? Who wins? Gabriel wins that one. Who's more glorious in appearance, an angel or a human? An angel wins that one. Who is stronger, Goliath of Gath? Or the archangel Michael. Angels win all those contests. They destroy. They win. And yet, it is not to them that God has put everything under the feet. He has not bestowed them with this glorious title of the image of God. Now, we think about what might set us apart from the animals. Oh, we have moral capacity. But you know what? So do angels. So we think about, because we, we can do things that are right or wrong, good or bad. Tigers can't sin. They can't make a moral decision, an evil decision, or a righteous decision. They just act. Tigers can't be holy or unholy, but humans can. But so can angels. Though humans are just under the angels in terms of these abilities and strength and characteristics, it's not to angels, but to humans. That God has bestowed the glory of being his image bearers. And now let's see this. We're going to see this in history now. Genesis chapter 1. Turn Turn with me in your Bibles. Genesis chapter 1. So he's walking through the days of creation. God creates everything out of nothing. we got the first day, second day, third day, fourth day, fifth day. Sixth day we see this. Genesis 1 verse 26. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. So it was not under the feet of angels that God put everything in creation. It was not to angels that God gave dominion over the whole earth. It was to Humans, which humans? All humans, even helpless, speechless, defenseless, unprofitable ones wearing diapers. And so we see this question in Psalm 8, what is man that you are mindful of him? And we can rejoice that it's a rhetorical question. There is no answer. This is a gift that he has given. He has bestowed it by grace That's an identity and a dignity given by God without any argument or any reason for it. It was a gift given to all the sons of Adam and all the daughters of Eve. It's declared, not developed. You don't develop into the image of God. It's declared. It's appointed, not acquired. It's an identity declared by God. What makes an unborn baby more valuable than an angel? What makes a 95 year old woman with dementia more valuable than an animal of an endangered species? God said so. Final answer The God who created the heavens and the earth, he said so. He declared it so, and he gave us our identity. He made us in his image. It's not open to discussion. Because it thunders from the voice of the all-powerful and all-glorious God. And so we don't wait to see if the baby will demonstrate he's an image-bearer before we treat him that way. We immediately treat him that way. We don't wait to see if the baby will self-identify as an image-bearer of God before we treat her as such. It's also quite irrelevant whether that baby wants to be human or chooses to be identified as human, or asks to be treated, by, treated as one. No, this is an identity and a glory given by Yahweh, the God and Lord of Israel, the King of all the earth. This is something that is given by grace. It's bestowed, it's declared. Third point is this. God has designed and commanded humanity to uniquely and maximally reflect and delight in His glory. God has designed and commanded humanity to uniquely and maximally reflect and delight in his glory. And you might ask, well, can we not even talk about the differences between full-grown humans and animals? Does it play a part? Well, it does. But it's not the source. Identity comes first. When Adam was first made, God sent him to name the animals. You see this. And he identifies all the animals and he found that he wasn't like them. There was a difference between him and the animals. What was the difference? He couldn't find a helper suitable for him within the animal kingdom. He's not like us. We can identify there is a difference. He has designed us differently. He's designed us perfectly to delight in that glory. Everything exists for God's glory. Everything exists to declare the glory and reign and dominion of God, but we do so in particular ways. God is glorious in his reign. And so he has designed, he's called us and designed us to be able to reign, to exercise dominion over the world. This is part of the glory that we are imaging. No other created being gets to do this only humanity has the responsibility and ability to reign, to exercise dominion, to be like God in that God reigns. And so we reign. That's how we image him. That's how we show his character. We show that it's a reigning, a dominion character, a good and benevolent and wise dominion, not a terrible one. God is also creative, which is why he Has created humanity, men and women, to be able to procreate. Angels can't do that. They don't have that. God has designed us in this way that we would be able to image God in that particular way. But it's very important that we don't take our abilities and the design that God has made and then we assign identity based on that. It's not how it works. First comes identity, and then comes design out of that. Because otherwise we're going to be mistreating people and dehumanizing them. All right, he's given us a design to maximally reflect his, delight and his glory, but he's also given us commands. If you've read the Bible much, you know that the law of God can be summarized in two commandments. Love the Lord your God with everything and your neighbor as yourself. See, there's things that would be sinful for us to do that wouldn't be sinful for an ox to do. There would be, be, be things that would be sinful for us to not do that would be okay if an ostrich didn't do them. We don't just glorify God, we glorify Him as His image bearers. And so God's commands really reflect His glory. These are things that tell, that de- declare what God loves, things that declare what God hates, what things are beautiful to God. And so, being made in the image of God means that every single thing that we do publicly declares something about God Himself. Every time you make a choice, every time you think a thought, every time you say something, every time you act in a way. You are, whether you like it or, go- or not, whether you know God or not, whether you love God or not, every single time you're doing something, you are saying something about God. You are declaring. When I treat you a certain way, I am declaring that this is what God likes. This is who God is like. This is what he does. Because we're made in his image. We are like living billboards that say, this is what God is like, and then paste our actions underneath that. We cannot escape the fact that everything we do says something about God. Now, this is also true, not just because we're made in God's image, but it's also true of the people around us. They're made in the image of God. And so that means that when the way we treat other people, other humans, we cannot escape the fact that I am either honoring God, or I am dishonoring God by the way I honor them. Because they're made in his image. It would be like going up to a billboard of a person or a politician and then vandalizing it. Everything that we do, whether we know it or not, says something about it, it makes a declaration about God. Now, that thing could be true or false. We could be honoring God in that statement. It might be true. When I act toward you in a certain way, and it is essentially me saying this is what God is like, that might be true. Or might be telling a gross lie about him. So this is the responsibility, the dignity and responsibility that we can't escape as humans. God has bestowed us with that identity to reign over creation, and to image him. All we say, all we do, says something about God, is making a declaration about God. It's an incredible gift, and it's a very high calling. Not one that we chose, but he is the potter, and we are the clay. Fourth point, God's wrath towards sin reflects the high calling of being his image bearers. You may have wondered, why does God care so much about sin? Why is it that he has wrath towards sin and wickedness? Why this thing called hell? Why would he punish people in hell? And now, hopefully you can see us being made in his image. This is explaining in part why this is so serious. He has given us dominion over all things. And so when Adam and Eve first fell, they were plunging all the world into sin. Now God had given them the place that you could not find a higher position as a created being, to be his image bearers. But they didn't delight in that for very long. They soon believed it would be better, there to be something better than to be God's image bearers. To create their own mission, to live for their own name rather than for the name and glory of God to create their own commands. And so God forbid Adam from eating of only one tree in paradise, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And he warned Adam that on that day he would eat of it, he would surely die. But rather than submitting to God and exercising dominion over the devil and the tree, what did he do? He tried to exercise dominion over God and he submitted to the devil and the tree. He rejected this glorious position and honor that God had given. They actually conquered him. You could say the, the devil and the tree. these were so They essentially conquered him. He was mastered by the tree's fruits. I can't say no to them. And so instead of submitting to God and exercising dominion over creation, it was exactly the opposite. And ev- because of that position, God placed Adam. Everything that Adam did declared something about God, and so he was falsely living as a representative of God. And Adam's the crown of creation, Adam and Eve, the crown of creation, and so when they fell and God had put everything under their feet, the whole creation fell. It was significant. They became sinners, they fell into sin, and all of their offspring after them but I want you to see this. The Bible is very, very clear that the image of God was not erased. Fallen humans are still in the image of God. So you might say it rhymes. The image was defaced, but it was not erased. The image of God was defaced, but it was not erased. He did not remove his image from humanity. We still bear God's image but we do it now with corruption. From Adam, we inherit the gift of being made in the image of God. This is something we inherit, not something we've earned, but we inherit this. And that means that no one can mistreat another human, even another sinful human, and remain guiltless before the Lord. Because even even fallen humans bear the dignity of being God's image bearers. We still are these billboards of the image of God. And to harm or dehumanize another human is a sin against God because it's in his image that they are made. And so that image of God, that identity, it actually guards all humans. It guards each of us against each other. And so it is a gift that remains even after the fall. But also the responsibility has remained after the fall. It means that as sinners, we continually to defame God's name. And since Adam, there has not been any human who has imaged God, reflected his glory accurately until the Lord Jesus Christ came. Even the best of humans is stained with sin in and, and, and our lives. We live and we think and we speak in, in ways that tell lies about the Lord in whose image we have been made. We mistreat others and therefore we mistreat God in whose image they have been made. We're dominated by things rather than exercising good dominion over them. Instead of wisely using and enjoying food, we're dominated by it. Instead of wisely using and enjoying money to demonstrate God's character, we're dominated by it. Instead of wisely using and enjoying sexual pleasure to demonstrate God's character, we're dominated by it. Instead of treating other human beings as image bearers of God, we either treat them as objects on one hand or on the other hand we treat them as gods. We deny the identity which God gave them and therefore we sin against God. And the fall has affected our our, our morality in that sense. Corrupted us with sin but it's also affected our abilities. So now we see that there's been That sin has affected, this corruption has affected our bodies, which were designed originally to perfectly enjoy and delight in God. So things like disease and physical disability, cognitive disability, deformities, injuries, dementia, all of these things, it's the effect of Adam's sin. It does change our abilities, But we need to know that because these were not given, the image of God was not given because of our abilities, they do not make us any less image bearers. They do not change our identity. A deformity in the body, a disease or a disability, even though it affects our abilities and the design, it doesn't affect our identity that God has bestowed on us. No less an image bearer and cannot change a person's God-given identity That brings us to our fifth point, thank goodness. Because Christ is the man who fulfilled the command to bear the image of God in fullness. No human had done that except Christ, who is the second Adam. No human had fulfilled the calling of image bearer. To delight in being God's image as a human. And so God himself became a human and filled that for us. Rather than being submi- by, by, dominated by creation, Christ dominated creation. He exercised rule and dominion in a good way. He wasn't conquered or mastered by any food or any other pleasure, but he enjoyed them for the glory of God. He submitted to his Father, and he enjoyed being made in the image of God. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation. So Christ was not merely made in the image of God. He doesn't just have the title of image bearer, one who reflects God's glory. He is the image of the visible God. Now it's one thing to be called on to show who God is. It's another thing to do it perfectly. And this is what Christ did. He didn't just reflect God's glory and radiate God's glory. He is the radiance of God's glory. We see this in Hebrews chapter one, Hebrews chapter one, one to four. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the Majesty of, on high, having become much more superior to the angels, as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Christ is the exact imprint of God's nature. Why is that? Because in the person of the third person or the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, in that person, you have the you, you have the nature of God. He has a divine nature. And then he adds to that human nature, and as he's doing that, the human nature is shaped by his divine nature. That doesn't mean it becomes a divine human nature. It remains perfectly and purely actual human nature. But because it is, it is combined with the nature of God in that person, it's perfectly imprinted on there. It's stamped on there perfectly. It's united. He perfectly imaged God And then he bore the sins of all who had failed to do that. He took on our identity as people who had dishonored God as image bearers. He was cursed for that on the cross. He's taking our curse for failing as image bearers so that we could be rewarded for his obedience of perfectly imaging God as an image bearer. Who has fulfilled the calling to bear the image of God? That calling that we read in Psalm 8? To whom can it be said that all things were actually placed under his feet, actually exercising dominion, actually demonstrating he is the perfect imprint of God's nature? All things under his good and perfect and faithful and just and righteous and glorious dominion. Who is worthy? Ephesians chapter 1. Verse 15 is Cal read for us already. Listen to this, and you tell me if you can't hear Psalm 8 in here. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to to come. Verse 22, this is fantastic. And he put all things under his feet. And he gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And so finally comes the second Adam who has fulfilled the dignified role and responsibility of being image bearers. And the Lord unites us by faith to him. If your faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're added to his body, he your head, you the body, so that you are blessed by his reign which will come in fullness when he comes to judge the living and the dead. All things are under his feet. He reigns for the glory of God and the good of the church. And one day he will come. And all rebellion will be crushed under his feet. And every single image bearer who has rejected their calling and who has sinned, who in the image of God have thought wicked things, who in the image of God have said wicked things, who in the image of God have wanted wicked things and have done wicked things, all of those image bearers will be crushed under his feet and righteously and justly condemned to hell eternally. A punishment so severe that it reflects the high calling and image of imaging God rightly. Rightly. And the reason the world hates the image of God in humanity is because it hates God. And God's design and calling for humanity reflect who God is in his character. So a world who hates God is going to hate the image and design of humanity. But do not agree with them. Do not conform to their view of humanity and identity and worth. Because they're going to be crushed under his feet when he comes to judge the living and the dead. And the foolishness about God and humanity that is of of their thinking, the foolishness about their lives of, of God and humanity will be put on full display in that moment. And rather than being crushed under his feet for failing as image bearers, we can run to him now by faith and added to his body and enjoy his perfect and glorious reign for as long as he will live, for as long as he will reign, for as long as Christ is worthy, and that is forever and ever. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are humbled when we think about the dignity and value that you have bestowed on humanity. When we think of ourselves, we don't see ourselves as being worthy of that. We couldn't have earned or achieved that, Lord. Who are we that you are mindful of us? But Lord, you have made us in your image, a great dignity that you bestowed, but also a great responsibility, Lord, and we have all sinned against you. Every time we've done something wicked, every time we've broken your law, we've not just broken your law, we've broken it in your name. Declared that these are things that you love when in fact you hate them. Declared these are things that you hate when indeed you love them. And Lord, we realize that the just punishment for that would be to be crushed by your reign and to be sent to hell. But Lord, we are grateful that even though we are wicked image bearers, you sent your son to save us to fulfill the calling that we failed in and to be punished for our failing, to receive our punishment and Lord, then to have us added to him, to be united to him, grafted into his body, he the head and we the body so that we would be one with him and enjoy his reign as co-heirs to reign with him rather than to be crushed by his reign. Oh, Lord, you have been so good and glorious and kind to us. And Lord, I pray that if there are those in this room who have not run to Christ by faith, Lord, those image bearers, Lord, I pray that they would run to Christ, repent of their sin, and trust in Christ's death and resurrection so that they might delight in his reign rather than being crushed by it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.